Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, my money-saving comrades. My name's Graham Clark, and I'm excited to be with you again this week on the Money Stepper Savings Challenge podcast. This is a podcast made by the Money Steppers Savings Community for the Money Stepper Savings Community. It's designed to help us all achieve the goals that we've set for the 2015 Savings Challenge and make that journey to financial freedom much more friendly and enjoyable. Are you ready? Let's get going. Hi everyone, welcome to session five of the Money Stepper Savings Challenge podcast. Today we're going to bring you an update on how the challenge is shaping up so far. A little brief discussion on the 52-week challenge, which you may have seen online or in the press. And the meat of our episode today, which is a discussion on the matched pension schemes. Now, don't turn off as soon as you hear pensions. I understand that is historically quite a boring subject, We can't underestimate the importance of saving for the long term in a retirement account or in a pension. Uh, If you've ever dreamed about sitting on the beach, sipping your cocktails or cruising around the world or however else you've you've dreamt about spending your retirement, contributing to a matched pension scheme will certainly help you get there and may even help you get there a lot quicker. Okay, let's get on with this, shall we? So... The Money Stepper Savings Community is starting to build quite nicely. We now have more than 30 members signed up for the challenge. Um, We've made a new list on Twitter to follow everyone. We've started a group on Facebook. So if you are a member of the challenge, you would have either been added to that or you shall be shortly. In the next episode, we're going to start analysing the submissions. So I'll be talking to the two people, the one with the highest and one with the most modest goals, to get their perspectives on the challenge. Now, I think by interviewing both ends of the spectrum in this challenge, it will just go to show that the challenge is actually very suitable to everyone. There's been certain concerns, which we've addressed in the FAQs, that the challenge isn't appropriate to people who are expecting to have a lot of expenditure in the coming year or because they're currently paying off debt or they have other financial priorities. Whatever your financial priorities are, they can still be incorporated into these two simple goals, the increased percentage in your net wealth and your savings rate throughout the year. Maybe this year isn't the year you're going to save loads because you have lots of expenses, but 
Equally, we need to make sure it's not the year where your saving rates falls to 100% and you lose all of your savings. So by setting a certain goal at the start of the year, even if that goal may seem a little less than ambitious to an outsider, it's important that you have them to give yourself those boundaries. I also want to talk about another challenge that I've seen and congratulate you for joining the Money Stepper Savings Challenge instead of that one. It's the 52-week Money Saving Challenge. Now, this has been around for a couple of years now. And it's as useless as it was when it started. The idea is that you save $1 or £1 or €1, whatever your currency, in the first week. Then in the second week, you save £2. In the third week, you save £3. In the fourth week, you save £4 and so on. Until in the 52nd week, you'll be saving £52. And over the course of that period, you'll save something like, I think it's £1,388. Some people have suggested improvements to this, and there clearly is improvements. The first problem with it, which isn't a really a major one for me, is that it's much more sensible to do it the other way around and save more money at the start because then you can earn interest on that money throughout the year and turn that 1,388 into a little bit more. The second is that generally throughout the year, saving becomes harder, people find. Especially as you come up to Christmas, it's more difficult to save. Now, this is where you can see the real problem. The 52-week challenge assumes that you can put away an exact amount each week. £1 in week one, £2 in week two, £3 in week three. It assumes that your life is completely predictable. If somebody can save exactly that amount of money each week, then I would argue that they can actually, in reality, save more than that. Because if they never have an issue or an emergency in their life, which means they can't save it in that particular week, then they aren't saving enough because they've always got that backup, but they could be saving more. My biggest criticism of the 52-week challenge is that it's not optimal for anyone. For some people, it may be way too ambitious. People can't save £1,388 when they're living paycheck to paycheck, and they haven't got any money to put aside. Equally, for perhaps the majority of people, this will make them lose some of their ambition. Just putting away that much money in the year is not necessarily the most optimal thing or the most effective way of saving. In fact, it may cause people to save less throughout the year because they're just trying to hit this challenge rather than being able to achieve everything they can. The other real issue with this is that it doesn't define what the savings are actually for. So say it's actually a struggle, it's really ambitious and it's somewhere near my optimal savings rate to save exactly £1 in week one and £2 in week two. If I save that money throughout the year and then I end up spending it all on Christmas presents next year, or if I spend it on a holiday which otherwise I couldn't have afforded but now can because I have this savings, well, that isn't really helping towards the long-term future. All it's doing is moving our spending around from one place that we maybe didn't need to put it towards another place that we didn't need to put it. Instead, it's much more sensible to look to the longer term and see what our financial goals are over the long term And hopefully that's what the Money Stepper Savings Challenge does. If we look at our long-term goals and what we're trying to save for in the future, if you listen to our goals episode, we speak a lot about having a vision in the long term to what what you're striving towards. And this helps us build towards those goals rather than arbitrarily saving money for the sake of saving money. So to conclude, uh, well done for joining the Money Stepper Savings Challenge. I'm not just saying that because the 52-week challenge is a rival of, of ours and that it seems to have got a lot more publicity and press, but I genuinely think that you've made the right choice coming here and I would be surprised if there's anyone in the challenge who doesn't save more than that amount, more than the 1388 
throughout the year. So um, well done. Thanks again for coming along with us for a challenge. Okay, let's get on to the main part of today's episode. We're going to talk about matched pension schemes and contributions to matched pension schemes. Now, almost a year ago today, we released an article on Money Stepper which looked into great detail at the maths behind the question, should I pay down my debt first or should I start saving towards retirement? Now, this is quite a controversial post because the majority of financial experts around the world, including Dave Ramsey, including Susie Orman, Martin Lewis here in the UK, all suggest that you should pay down your debt before you start saving in your employer pension schemes. You can see this quite clearly. It's very well defined, for instance, in Dave Ramsey's seven baby steps, beginning your journey to financial peace. Looking on the website here in front of me, you start with an emergency fund, step one, $1,000 in your emergency fund. Step two, pay off all your debt using the debt snowball. Uh, We'll probably come to the argument between using debt snowball and debt avalanche, so I disagree with Mr. Ramsey on this as well. Baby step three is to put three to six months of expenses away for savings. It's just an inflated emergency fund. And finally, baby step four comes invest 15% of your household income into your retirement accounts. Now, I think we need to switch this around a bit because financially, mathematically, if you're not investing in these retirement accounts, it could be costing you quite a significant sum in the long term. So who's today's episode four? Well, it's for anyone with the opportunity to contribute to a pension scheme where your contribution to your pension is matched by your employer. If that's you, then listen up. If not, well, I still suggest you stay tuned, listen to the rest of the episode, because there's some more general principles about investing here which we'll cover and I think you'll find interesting too. In the article we wrote last year on this subject, we actually referred to this as the million-dollar question. That might be exaggerating things, but it might actually not. This might actually genuinely be a million-dollar question. If you spend all your funds paying down very low-interest debt, and because of that you can't contribute the maximum amount to your pension scheme that your employer matches, then you could be losing out on a significant sum of money in the long term, maybe even millions of dollars. Now, we're going to illustrate the importance of matched pension schemes by looking at some specific examples. Most people have a series of options, let's call them standard options, that they can do with their money. We'll take an average person, call him John. He's got the following options. He could pay down some credit card debt, which is currently accruing interest at 15%. Alternatively, he could pay down his car loan. That's at 8%. Uh, He could look at making overpayments on his mortgage, and that would be at 4%. Alternatively, he might want to look to save. And if he's saving, he could put some money in a savings account or a current account or a cash ISA. We'll say in the low-interest environment today, that's going to earn him about 1%. He could invest his money in the longer term in a stocks and shares ISA. And let's say he does it in a low-risk, diversified portfolio, which is specifically designed to provide less variance, but it will give him less returns in the long run. That will probably return him about 4% a year. Or he could put it in a stocks and shares ISA again, but this time that would consist of market tracking ETFs, tracking the major world indices in the US, the UK, Europe, etc., And we'll say that that returns on average, when we include dividends, about 8% a year. There is one more popular investment class that you could invest in, and that's in property or small business. 
both of them. We'll leave that until the later part of this episode to discuss because it's quite an interesting nuance with pensions and property investment. So John needs to decide what is he going to do with his cash. Now he looks at those lists of options and he basically picks the highest interest rate. And that's clearly the credit card with the interest at 15%. You think 15% is higher and by paying down that credit card he is essentially earning an interest rate of around 15% on his money because instead of paying that every month he'll put the cash against the capital and he won't be needing to pay that 15% which is akin to earning the 15% if he invested that money elsewhere. So you think that John maybe is making the right decision there by putting it against the credit card. Unfortunately, when we run the maths, that's not actually the case. And the reason is that when pensions come in, and it's specifically employer-matched pension schemes, when you make your contribution and your employer matches your contribution one for one, then you're effectively earning 100% ROI the minute you put that money in. So there's another alternative where he puts it in the pension and his interest rate at moment zero is 100%. Now that interest rate over time falls towards the 8% because next year he won't be earning the 100% on that contribution that he's made. He'll be earning the 8% from the market. What we've got to think of is not only his contribution, but the employer match contribution and all future dividends from that that's having the benefit of compound interest over time. So that actually means that in most cases, and we'll run some examples, but in most cases, it's much more financially beneficial to take advantage of your employer-matched pension schemes than it is paying down high-interest credit cards. We're going to go into this in a lot more detail now with some examples. And there's plenty of examples in the article which we wrote on this last year. So I would recommend that you head over and you have a look at those examples. So if you go to bunnystepper.com forward slash matched pensions you'll get the link to the show notes of this episode which will include a link through to that article but i'll just explain one to you today we'll have a look at a comparison where john basically has two thousand pounds and he can decide to take that in his pension or he can decide to have it as a salary and then he will pay down credit card debt with that salary we need to have a look at two options okay let's say john has got fifteen thousand pounds worth of credit card debt And so his two options are that he takes the £2,000 as salary. And just for the impact of this, because we're trying to prove that the pension's better, we'll just say his salary isn't taxed. So that puts a lot more benefit towards the alternative option, which we're going to prove is worse. So he takes that £2,000 and he gets £2,000. In reality, he'd probably get much less than that due to his tax bill. But he puts that £2,000 against the debt. So his debt now stands at £13,000 instead of £15,000. And that's scenario A. Scenario B, what we think is the better option, is that he doesn't take that £2,000 of salary and he simply places it towards his pension and his employer matches that straight away and he'll have £4,000 in his pension scheme. We'll assume that his pension is earning 8%. He's invested it in the market tracking ETFs. And we'll assume that his credit card has a variable return. Okay, We'll have a look at some different scenarios. And what we're trying to find out is... What interest rate does he need to be paying on that credit card to make it a better financial decision to take the money out of salary and pay down the credit card compared to contributing to his pension scheme when his employer matches his pension contribution? Now, if you do visit that page, you'll see a graph on the original article. 
which shows some scenarios where the debt is either at 4%, at 8%, at 16%, or at 24%. So that might range from your mortgage through to car loans to expensive credit cards. And at 24%, you're talking very expensive credit cards and store cards. And the results are truly remarkable. After 30 years, if John had taken his salary out and he'd placed it against his 24% credit card, he would be £23,000 worse off than if he'd have contributed it towards his pension scheme and it was matched by his employer. Isn't that quite incredible? So what we asked ourselves was, well, what's the break-even point? At what point does it become more worthwhile paying down the credit card than contributing to the pension? And again, I'd recommend you you head over and look at those graphs because what actually happens is that you get this benefit straight away from the £2,000 being matched by the employer. So you start off in the positive and generally as we increase the interest rate on the credit card, over time the graph becomes a U-shape. So in some instances, as we increase the interest on the credit card, we'll see that the line as it forms a U at the bottom of the U will cross the x-axis, which means that for some point in time, it would be better to pay off the credit card than it would to contribute to the pension. And what's the break-even point? What's that point where it crosses the x-axis? Well, we actually have to be paying over 33% interest on our credit card to make it worthwhile. Now, if you've got a 33% interest credit card or store card, You shouldn't be thinking about whether to increase your pension contribution or whether you should pay down this credit card. The first thing you should think of is whether you can refinance this card because paying 33% interest is, quite frankly, fairly absurd. So maybe refinance that, try and get it down to a lower rate if it's with a consolidated loan or an interest-free credit card, balance transfer credit card, those kind of things. And then it will be more worthwhile putting your money towards your pension. What I would like you to do now is head on over to that page and there's a spreadsheet you'll find where you can enter your current debts you have and the interest rate you're paying on those debts and your actual pension scheme rules. So maybe your employer only matches 5% or 3%. But you can put those figures into this spreadsheet and it will spit out an answer. It will tell you over the long term how financially beneficial it is to contribute to this pension scheme. Now I'm going to move on shortly to some exceptions to that rule where you may consider paying down your debt before contributing to a matched pension scheme. But before I do, I just want to really emphasise, if I haven't already, the importance of putting money into these matched pension schemes. And I'm going to do it by just running some figures for you. Okay, For an example, let's say you're getting paid the average UK salary of £27,000 a year. Your employer will match any pension contribution you make up to 5%. So you decide to maximise that because you've put your figures into that spreadsheet and you realise how important it is to do so. This means that you'll be paying £1,350 a year into your pension scheme and your employer will match exactly that amount, £1,350. So there's £2,700 going into that pension scheme. Let's imagine that you did that when you were 21 and you'll work until the age of 71 to make these figures nice and easy, so 50 years of work. Let's also assume that because you've studied the investing section of the Money Stepper website, you'll know that the long-term returns on market-tracking ETFs for the US stock market and for the major UK indices, actually, with dividends included, is more like 10% a year. So we're going to assume 10% growth a year. 
Can you guess how big your final pot will be in 50 years? How much do you think that is? Well, let's do a little bit of mental arithmetic. Um, 2,700 times 50, uh, 2,700 times 10 is 27,000. 27,000 times 5 is 270,000 divided by 235,000. So we'll have £135,000 we would have put into this pension scheme between ourselves and our employer. Remember, we're only putting half of that in ourselves. Well, what we're forgetting here, the magic part of every equation, is compound interest. So we put them into an actual formula which works out what would happen if we invested that £135,000 over that time frame. And we'd have a final pot after that 50 years of £1.5 million. Just give you a second to let that sink in. You've only actually put in £67,500 during your working career into your pension. And now it's worth £1.5 million. What about if we extend that a little bit? What about if we go back and we look at Dave Ramsey's rule? He suggests you put 15% in. I actually suggest you put as much as you can in that your employer will match and then consider after that what to do with your money. But let's say you put 15% in. Now, many employers won't actually match up to 15% of your salary. So let's say in this example, our employer only matches 10% of our salary and we put in 15% of our salary. So you'll be contributing £4,050 a year and your employer will be contributing £2,700 a year for a total of £6,750. So that comes to contributions between yourself and your employer over that 50 years of £337,500. Again, if we apply that 10% compounding over 50 years, our pot at the end would be £7.8 million. It's hard. It is hard. 15% of your salary is a lot of money to put towards your pension And so you're cutting out of your salary each month. Most people are going to have to make significant cutbacks in their expenditure to be able to do this. But if you do that, it's essentially all you ever need to do to save towards retirement. Having £7.8 million in retirement, even if in retirement with your £7.8 million, you only earn 5% a year income. And let's say you only spend the income. You don't ever tap into your capital because you want to leave that to your children. Well, 5% of £7.8 million is £390,000 a year. Now, that's an all right salary, isn't it? I think you'll get by on that. So this just stresses the importance of get that pension match, put as much as you can in physically so you can still live on that and make sure that grows in the long term. So when you reach that age, when you're old and grey, you'll have enough money to be able to do what you want to do in retirement. Okay, I think I've stressed that enough. Let's move on to some of the exceptions to the rule. Now, we can see that the numbers, the maths, clearly shows that contributing to a matched pension scheme is usually the right financial decision to make compared to paying down debt, or at least debt with a reasonable level of interest. But when do the exceptions come in? Well, the first one is that, the reasonable level of interest. If you have an absurd level of interest, you're using payday loans, for instance, or if you have store cards with APRs of high double digits, which some of them do exist incredibly, then you may want to consider paying down those debts instead of contributing to your retirement accounts. But it's not the optimal solution still, in my opinion. The optimal solution is to transfer that debt, to move that debt where you can, to be paying much lower rates 
Now, people with bad credit may struggle to do this, and if you do struggle to do this, then paying down that debt is key. However, if you have the available credit which will allow you to move that debt to much lower interest, then that should be your first step. Now, obviously, you need to take into account fees, and you need to address that as another financial and mathematical problem. But usually, it's more beneficial to move that high-interest loan to a lower-interest loan, contribute to your pension schemes, and then if you've got any money left after that above your expenses, that would then be placed to your debt. Secondly, if you're struggling to meet your payments for your debt, then you probably shouldn't consider putting money towards your pension. This is for two reasons. One, financially. If you're struggling to make repayments, then there's a good chance that you're going to default on those loans. If you default on your debts, this is a significant problem. You'll obviously have issues where you'll be taken to court. Your credit rating will be impacted in the short term, medium term and long term. It's often more financially expensive to do so. So obviously you don't want to be defaulting on your debts. And so if you're struggling to make your payments, then pay down your debt rather than contributing more to your pension scheme. The second part of that is psychological. Obviously, it will be a very stressful time if you default on your loans. And this is something that can more generally be applied to debt. Now, often, I'm going to refer back to Dave Ramsey again, but often this is where his methodology comes in. So this is why he goes for debt snowball instead of debt avalanche and probably why he tells people to pay off their debt rather than, should we say, correct mathematical decision to put more into matched retirement schemes and it's because of the psychological impact because of the stress because of the bad relationships people have with debt now i want to distinguish between what the actual stress comes from here the stress doesn't come from having debt most people who have a very high net worth have debt they have a significant amount of debt they might have it on usually investments from property, but they'll also have it in other aspects of their life, especially in an interest rate environment like today. And those people are just fine. They're not too stressed. And the reason is that the stress doesn't come from having debt. The stress comes from the relationship that people have with debt. It's how they view their debt. Now, I would propose to you that if you understand everything about your finances everything's there. So you've taken the Money Stepper Savings Challenge, you've filled in your net worth, you've filled in your monthly income and expenses, so you understand yourself and what yourself looks like from a financial perspective. If you understand everything in there and you understand that your debts can be easily serviced in the future from uh, current assets or from future income that's produced from those assets or future income that's produced from your salary, then debt won't stress you out. Debt won't be a problem. So what I would advise anyone to do in this situation is think about their relationship with money and think about their relationship with debt. Now, if after all that, you still can't sleep at night because you have debt and you fully understand that the correct mathematical decision may be to add more to your pension, but you just don't like having the idea of the debt, then go ahead as long as you understand that. But I think it's important for everyone to do their own calculations And for everyone to understand their own financial position so they can work out what do they want their relationship with debt to be. I'm not promoting debt necessarily. It sounds like I am in this episode. Um, Once you've contributed to that pension scheme, I think you should pay down your debt. It's probably the next best uh, guaranteed return. I say guaranteed in, in, in the long term sense. 
But will I ever take the effort to pay down a 3% interest rate if I've got a very low interest on my mortgage when I could be earning 10% on average in the, in the markets? No. I've done the mathematical formula. I've included risk in my mathematical formula. And I've decided that I'm willing to take that risk in the long term, the variance on the 10%, in order to make the positive expected value in the long term. Now, it's all getting a bit mathsy, a bit statsy, so I'll, I'll move away from this subject. But what I'm trying to say is that if you have this relationship with debt that is less than healthy, you should address that relationship with debt rather than just ignoring it and paying down your debt. It will put you in a better position in the long term financially if you can understand why you have that certain relationship with money. Okay, so I spent a lot of time here presenting the strengths of the match pension scheme. And there clearly is a lot of them, especially, as I say, mathematically, financially. But there are some other aspects of it we need to consider. And we need to look at both sides of this argument and, and allow you to make your own decision on how you approach your pension. There are two main weaknesses I, I see with contributing to a pension, even if it is a match pension scheme. The first of them is liquidity. Once you contribute that money into your pension, it's essentially gone. Until you reach the retirement age, you won't really be able to access that cash. So it's completely illiquid. Is that a problem? Not necessarily. If you fully understand your financial position and you set aside that money with the intention that you will not access that money until retirement, then great, that's exactly what it's there for. However, if you potentially have a need for that money in the short term, if there's some life events or some certain circumstances which may occur in the shorter term where you'll need access to that cash, then it's probably not the best idea to lock it up until you retire. So just think about liquidity, think about how your your future looks in the next five to ten years and how that might impact your contribution to your pension. Now the second one I alluded to earlier and I said I'll come back to later and that's the whole idea of investing in property. Now I'm a big advocate of property investment and it's because of leverage and there's two things that a pension doesn't offer you. One of them is the opportunity to invest in property or should I say residential property. In certain instances, if, if you have a SIP, you'll be able to invest in commercial property, but you can't invest in residential property through a traditional pension product. Why is this a concern? Well, it is because I've given you those aspects of what you can earn in your pension fund. And realistically, if you're putting your money in market tracking ETFs, a 10% annual return when you include dividends is probably what you're going to get back from your pension. And that's good. That's obviously a good rate of return. It leads to these pension pots in the future, which we've discussed, which are very healthy and attractive. However, there may be even better options out there. And as you've probably understood from this episode and from our previous ones, I am very keen to look at what the optimal decision is from a financial standpoint. And when it comes to property, returns on investments, or should we say annual returns, that are much greater than that figure of 10%. Let me give you one example, okay? Say we have £100,000 and we're going to buy a house, okay? Well, the £100,000 for the house, we may earn £600 a month, okay? So that's £7,200 a year income. Let's say we have expenses of uh, £2,000 in the year related to that investment property, okay? So we've got £5,200 in the year as our profit, 
We actually have to pay tax because it's not in our pension, so we pay 40% tax on that, which is £2,080, which will leave us with £3,120 profit, okay? So those numbers don't really matter. They're all theoretical. They are reasonable. In fact, they are quite prudent for property investment. So let's say from that £100,000, if we bought the entire property in cash, we would earn £3,120 in the year. So that would be 3.12%, much less than we have in our pension scheme. But that is only our income that we earn from this property, the 3.12%. We also have capital growth. So let's use a fairly prudent long-term estimation of property growth in the UK and we'll say our property increases by 7% a year. So let's say that's another £7,000 worth of capital gains and as before we'll assume a 40% tax rate with higher rate taxpayers which will leave us with a profit there of £4,200 in the year. So add that to the income from the property and we've got a total of £7,320 which gives us a return on investment for the year of 7.3%. What do we notice? Well First thing I noticed that even though it's theoretical, these numbers are reasonable and maybe even a little bit prudent for property investment, but we're earning 7.3% on our money. Not too bad. Not as good as the pension, but there's something here which we're missing, something very, very key we're missing. And that thing is leverage. Now, most people, when they buy any property, whether it's a personal property, whether it's your own home, or whether it's an investment property, a buy-to-let property, for instance, will take out a mortgage on that property. Let's say we have the same scenario. We have a £100,000 house, but this time, instead of buying it all for cash, we take out a 75% loan-to-value mortgage. So that means that £75,000 worth of the house is in our mortgage and 25000 comes from our own personal investment. Let's run down the annual income figures for the year. Well, our rent stays the same. We bring in, say, £7,200. We have £2,000 worth of expenses. That hasn't changed from before. But this time we have one more bit of expenditure. If our mortgage was at 4% a year, for instance, then 4% times £75,000 is £3,000 in mortgage payments. This means we only have a profit before tax this time of £2,200. Again, we remove our tax, assuming we pay 40% tax, which leaves us profit from our income of £1,320. We still have the same amount of profit of capital gain, okay? The same amount of capital gain, £4,200 after tax, which gives us a total this time of £5,520, much less in actual terms than when we bought the house outright. If you remember, that was £7,320 before, and now we're only at £5,520. But you may have noticed something very key here. The £5,520 is based on a £25,000 investment. That's all we've put in of our own money. So what does that mean for our annual return? Well, actually, we have £5,520 divided by £25,000. This gives us an annual return of 22%. Now, these are just theoretical numbers, but these aren't unreasonable numbers. And as I said before, they're actually quite prudent for property investment. And the same could be true for small business investment. If you invest in your own small business or a small business of someone you know, there's obviously more risk there, but your annual returns could be much greater than that from your pension. So what am I saying? Effectively, I'm saying look at the whole picture. We've proved during this podcast that generally 
Contributing to your pension when it's matched by your employer is financially beneficial when compared to paying down debt with a reasonable interest rate. But let's have a look at the bigger picture beyond that and actually say, yes, that is true. But just consider that there's also alternative investment options which aren't available inside a pension that you might want to consider instead of making your contribution to your pension scheme. Now, this is a personal decision for you to take away. And if you're in this position, it's something you need to try and understand yourself. You need to run all your own numbers as ever. People don't like maths, but I would encourage everyone to always get Excel out for every decision they make financially and work out the numbers for their personal situation themselves. Only that way will you fully understand what you're getting yourself into. One more thing to talk about before we go, and it's pensions versus ISAs. I'm not actually going to go into any detail here, but I am going to link you again to another article, another resource from Money Stepper that does an analysis for non-matched pension schemes, whether it's better to contribute to your pension or whether it's better to take your salary now and put your money in an ISA. It's effectively a comparison of when you pay your tax because pension schemes provide tax relief today, but you pay tax when you take out the income in retirement. Whereas an ISA, you'll be taxed on your salary today, but you get tax relief in the future when you take your money out of your ISA. So it's tax now or tax later. There's also some issues to address again around liquidity and how you want to keep your money. And there's also a consideration to be made about the limit. If you're earning a lot of money, then sometimes you may need to consider the maximum limit. So they're quite a lot. They're £15,000 on your ISA and they're £40,000 on your pension. But if, say, you are saving £20,000 a year, obviously you can't put all of that in an ISA. So that might make your decision for you. However, this is a complex subject. And again, it's really personal for everyone. So I'd recommend you head over to the show notes, moneystepper.com forward slash matched pensions, where you'll find a link to the ISA versus pensions article. And again, there's another spreadsheet in that article that will help you understand if it's financially beneficial for you to put your money in your pension today or take your money in your salary and leave it in your ISA. And that's it. If you're still awake, well done. You made it through the pensions episode. (laughs) If you've fallen asleep by now, and don't worry, the Money Stepper outro music's coming soon, so I'm sure that'll act as an alarm to awake you from your slumber. So all that's left is to thank you for listening to this today and for being part of the Money Stepper Savings Challenge. It's hugely appreciated. What I would love for you to do, what would really help us as a community, is if you could head on over to iTunes or to Stitcher if you're on Android and you could leave a review for this podcast, preferably a five-star review if you don't mind, and you subscribe, then that might actually help us get into the new and noteworthy section, which will obviously be beneficial for Money Stepper and for the podcast to get in there. But what it will also do is that it will create a larger audience for us and it will build the community. Now with these type of challenges, it's always a case of the more the merrier. Consider the Money Stepper Savings Challenge like a mastermind group. Now if there's more people in this mastermind group who are similar to you, who are in the same kind of position and they're striving towards the same goals, then you're going to learn a lot more from those people and they're going to be much more useful for you to be held accountable against and just to be able to discuss how things are going throughout the year. 
So if we can build the audience, we can build the amount of people in the challenge and there'll be more people who are on the same level footing as yourself and hopefully that will benefit you in the long term. So um, as Jerry Maguire said, help me help you, help me help you. Well, thanks very much for listening. It's an honour to have you as part of the Money Stepper Savings Challenge. If you have any ideas for future episodes, let me know. Next week, we're going to bring two people on board. We're actually going to try and get an interview with the person who set the most lofty goals for this year, the highest percentage improvement for their net wealth and their savings rate. And we'll also interview the person at the other end of the spectrum, the person with the most modest goals that have been set. It will just go to show you that we have people in the challenge that are at all stages of their financial journey. Hopefully you can learn something from all of them. And we'll just ask them a few questions around their goals, what they think about their challenge, and maybe if they'll let us delve a little bit into their personal finance situation, understand how they're doing, and hopefully that'll, that'll give you some ideas. Okay, I think that's enough for this week. Uh, thanks ever so much for listening. Hope you tune in next week to that episode. Have a safe week, and as ever, keep on climbing! Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 